Phil preached John 7, verses 1 through 52 last Sunday and did a fantastic job. And uh, Phil, thank you. I, I listened online, I took notes, and was blessed by the sermon, and will certainly um, reference it this morning. But notice that chapter 7, verse 53 is lumped in with chapter 8. And right before 7.53, in most of your Bibles, there's a note. What does that note say? Is, uh, Mike Diggs, uh, does yours have a note on it? No, it's not included in the other. Right, right. Does yours have a note, Wayne? What does it say? There you go. The earliest manuscripts do not include 7.53 to 8.11. And so they put it in brackets. And when a, when a person who studies the Bible, and certainly whenever a teacher or a preacher approaches a text about whether to preach it or, or to teach it, you have to do a little bit of digging in order to know whether or not you, you, you want to preach this passage and teach it or not. And it's like I told Ben and Phil earlier this week. This, this is what I told them. I said, I, I, I can't teach and preach a passage if I'm not... 100% sure this is part of the Word of God. And so, this is, this is what you find when you, do, when you dig and you research, is that the manuscript evidence tells us that the earliest and the best manuscripts don't contain this passage right here in this section. The second thing that you find is that the vocabulary and the style of writing in this section, doesn't match the vocabulary and style of the writing in the Gospel of John that comes before it and comes after it. And then the third thing you realize is that there's an interruption of sequence. Look down at chapter 7, verse 52. They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. You know, they've been going back and forth with Jesus. These are the Jews who are are really in opposition to him. And and, and Nicodemus comes in and and tries to defend him. And then look over then at chapter 8, verse 12. And notice it says, And again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am. And then that's the passage we're going to study the sequence is naturally flowing because the conversation subject is the same as it was in chapter 7. So this is the thing, is that this event very likely happened in the ministry of Jesus. Other passages recorded and talk about it. And this is something that happened, and we need to know about this lady who is in adultery, and Jesus comes and rescues her and says, you know, she says to the people, hey, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And then he looks at her, and, and he just says, go and sin no more. And she felt the warmth of Jesus' forgiveness. We believe that event happened. Okay, It's just that we're not confident that John wrote it and that he had it right here in that section. I hope that's clear with everyone, because what we're going to do is we're going to go from we're going to start with twelve and move on this morning, and so that's that's just important. I don't ever want to leave you in the dark with things like that, and so that's why we're that's why I wanted to make mention of it. All right, given that reality, let's uh, bow our heads and let's just simply ask God to give us illumination this morning. Father, we thank you for your grace to us as we sang this morning. We were able to comprehend with our minds 
And then it went down into our hearts that you love us so much that you sent your eternal son to come on a rescue mission to save us from our sins. And we just want to say right now, praise your name. Hallelujah. You are so good. We worship you. And we worship you too because we have fellowship with people like the Winsteads who come into relationship with us and covenant with us. And Father, thank you for faith family. Thank you that we have brothers and sisters that we walk through life together. Thank you that we have servants. And like David Cobb, who has answered the call to be a servant in your church, Father, thank you for your grace to us in not leaving us alone and by ourselves to figure out life and faith and church, but you provide servants to us. Lord, we just pause right now and we say thank you. And we even ask your blessing on our finances and the way we steward the money that we give for the, for the kingdom. And so, Lord, bless us. Give us the ability this next year to make money and to give money so that your kingdom will be going forward in the community, region, and world. And Father, as we approach your word right now, the fact is, if we don't hear from you, if you don't speak to us, we will walk out with a lack of wisdom, a lack of insight, a lack of passion, a lack of skill, a lack of worship, and we will mess things up in a major way because we've not heard from our King. And so, Lord, would you speak to us as a King does, as citizens? Would you give us our marching orders? Would you reveal to us your glory? Would you thrill our hearts and give us a sense of the glory and the excellence of the kingdom that we belong to? We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Okay, last week, Phil said that Christianity makes truth claims that call for a response. Christianity makes truth claims that call for a response. In other words, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, that statement, that is a claim of truth, and it demands a response to every person who hears it. And so as he makes claims in chapter 7, the Jewish leaders in particular object to his claims. And, and they say, Jesus' ministry is too small. And Jesus says, hey, wait a minute, my time has not yet come. They say Jesus doesn't have the right kind of training. And Jesus says, hey, my teaching comes from God Himself. They say, hey, we know where He comes from, and where He comes from is not good enough for Him to be a, a great teacher and the Messiah. And Jesus says, I come from God. And then they say, He isn't from David's line. He's not from David's town. And John steps in and says, He is from David, and He was born in Bethlehem. And then he said that they say, well, Jesus' followers are ignorant. And John turns around and says, you are the ones who are ignorant of God and the way that his son has come to save the world. And so the, 
The statement last week is that Jesus is true. He's true. Now, He doesn't fit people's expectations, but He's the Messiah who comes not in outward glory, but in humility. And by coming in humility, He not only demonstrates the kind of life that His followers are supposed to live, but He demonstrates a life that, that, that shows the righteousness of the God-man. The God who is man. None other than Jesus Christ. And so, church, this, this is the truth claim. Is that you're evil, you're sinful, you need a Savior, and the only way to be rescued from your sins is to trust in God's Son, Jesus Christ. So trust in Him or you'll die in your sins. That was the message from last week and we just pick right back up with it in chapter 8, verse 12. And so this is the reading of the Word of God, chapter 8, verse 12 through verse 30. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I'm the one who bears witness about myself and and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him. Why did no one arrest him? Because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you'll die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand what he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he 
and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. As you're looking down at the text, I think the simplest way to see the progression is his declaration, his defense, and his disclosure. His declaration, his defense, and his disclosure. We see his declaration in verse 12. We see his defense in verses 13 through 27. And then we see his disclosure in 28 through 30. It's just a structural way to understand this interaction that Jesus has with his disciples. And what I want us to look at very closely is his declaration this morning. Because then everything that, that follows after his declaration, will, we will understand and we will understand the gravity of it, the weight of it, and, and even the, the, the beauty of it. And so look at the declaration in verse 12, church. He spoke to him and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now we should, we should stop here. Take your eyes and look down at the passage. We, we need to meditate on the beautiful and glorious reality of that fact that Jesus is the light of the world. Now for fear that I would be a little embarrassed, I'm not going to ask you what I told you guys two weeks ago when I preached Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus actually told his followers, you're the light of the world, all right? Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect you to hold me accountable to something that you told me two weeks ago. But this is what we said during that time. We said that light does two things. That it reveals and it rescues. It reveals and it rescues. Light comes into darkness and it reveals reality. It reveals what's there. It, it reveals truth. And then we said it rescues from the chaos and the confusion that darkness brings in. And so when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, I want you to know it is a loaded statement. It is a loaded declaration. Because the Old Testament is full of statements about God, Yahweh, being light. David in Psalm 27 says that the Lord is my light and my salvation. And by that, David is saying, he's my rescuer. He reveals not only truth to me, but he rescues me from the error of my ways. And as we walk through all of the Old Testament, we see that the Lord, the great God of heaven and earth, is the one who brings light. He's the source of light, the giver of light. And Jesus now steps in and he says, I am, I am the light of the world. But in its most basic sense, he's saying, I am the one who reveals the truth about God, about life, about salvation to people. And I am the one who rescues people who walk in darkness, out of their darkness and the chaos of it, so that they can walk in the light and the truth and the blessing and the joy of having a relationship with God. Now, if you look back down at the text, what does he say he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Jesus comes to us and He shines the light of heaven. And church, when we see Him, we are looking at the face of God. When we hear Him, we are listening to the voice of God. When we watch Him in the pages of Scripture, we are observing the actions of God. And when we examine Him, we are beholding the beauty of God. Christ Jesus reveals the love of God, the holiness of God, the wisdom of God, the plan of God, and yes, I should say the glory of God. And He rescues us from the depravity of our fallen condition and the folly of our human wisdom. And we have been through seven chapters of beholding Jesus as the light of the world. And I will tell you, John the Baptist gave witness that Jesus is the light. The twelve disciples would give witness that Jesus is the light. If you were to ask the Samaritan woman if Jesus was the light of the world, I would guarantee you she would say yes. Those Samaritan citizens who, who experienced salvation through her witness of Jesus would say He is the light of the world. The royal official whose son was rescued by Jesus' power would say He is the light of the world. There are many witnesses to the fact that Jesus is the light. But church, I, I want to I give personal witness this morning. I want to give personal witness that Jesus is my light. And when I give witness that Jesus is my light, I want you to think about how Jesus is your light. I'm going to give you an opportunity to give witness this morning. So as you, as you listen to my meditation, you might want to think also about how Jesus has ministered to you. So would you indulge me right now? I've written down some things about how Jesus has been my light. And I want you to know it because I want to give witness to the power of the revealing and rescuing light of Christ. I once believed that I was a good person who deserved good things. But Christ revealed to me that I am a sinner, rotten at my core, he rescued me from the delusion of personal goodness and He brought me to a place of trusting in Him and not in myself. He rescued me, church, from the heavy weight of self-reliance and the eternal punishment of self-delusion. He did that for me. And I praise Him for shining His light. I once belittled my own mistakes and my own sins. And at the very same time, I magnified the mistakes and the sins of the people in my life. But Christ revealed to me the hypocrisy and the self-deception of that kind of life, and He rescued me to a life of self-examination and a pursuit of humility. I hope you understand what that means. I no longer have to go through life trying to pick out what's wrong with everybody else. I can go through life and let God search my heart and show me where I need to grow and have joy in the growth that Jesus gives. I once compared myself with my peers and measured my righteousness by what I saw in them. But Christ revealed to me that it's not their righteousness I'd be measured by, but His 
He rescued me from horizontal comparisons and He brought me to a place of beholding Him and His righteousness. He rescued me from myself. I once used my Christianity to accomplish worldly achievements that I really craved in worship. I hope you understand what I mean by that. I used my Christianity to leverage myself to accomplish the things I was really passionate about. But Christ came to me and He revealed my idolatry for what it was and He rescued me from the emptiness of earthly glory and brought me to a place where I could be fully satisfied in Him. I once saw myself as the center of my world and that everything existed for me. And that everything should revolve around me. But God graciously revealed to me Jesus Christ and that He is the center of the world and that I would find my greatest joy when I surrender my centrality and embrace His. I once believed the basic facts of the Gospel. And get this, I was emotionally unmoved by them. I was unaffected by the love of God in Christ. Oh, I gave intellectual assent to Christ. I gave intellectual assent that He lived, that He died, that He rose from the dead, that He ascended into heaven, and that surely He would probably come one day. But I was stoic and I was proud. And Christ came to me and He revealed to me the arrogance of my mere intellectual assent and the danger of my stoicism and He rescued me Get this, church. He rescued me to a desperate faith in Him. You see, when you have Christ as your light, you lose this self-reliance and you understand that the best place to be is in desperate need of Him every day. I could go on and on because Christ continues to reveal truth to me and rescue me from my darkness. And I just think, the end of the year, celebration of the Incarnation, our great Savior, I just want to give any brother or sister who wants to to testify to Christ as the light of the world the opportunity to do that. So, Andrew, if you'll go ahead, or Lauren, get get the microphone. If you would like to give testimony that Christ is your light and that He has revealed and rescued you, Go ahead and, and just slip your hand up and just give a testimony. Susan, Susan up here at the, the front. I just want to be first because I'm telling you that uh, I feel like Paul sometimes that <clears throat> that as far as sinners go, I am the chief. <laughs> I am the, the biggest sinner. And I just want to tell you real quickly without going into detail about a night when... Uh, my marriage, my life, everything was hanging by a thread. And I mean by a thread. In fact, we were within 24 hours of signing our divorce papers. And uh, this night was terrible. It even involved a, a suicide attempt. I mean, just you name it. <laughs> it was as dark as dark could get. But God in His mercy and His grace shined a light to reveal to every single 
person that was involved in this, the sin that we were in, and honestly, not a one of us thought that it was our fault. We all were blaming each other. And, you know, God just brought, but at the same time, he showed us a way out. And God healed our marriage in a way that we don't even have a scar. I mean, there is absolutely no evidence of what happened in my marriage and in my life. And uh, that's, that's how he shined his light on me. Praise God. Anyone else want to give testimony? Christ is light. Daniel. Um, a lot of you know my story. When I was younger, um, I was really agnostic and like what you're talking about, just really uncaring about God and caring about the gospel. Um, uh, and then I got saved at 19. But you know, when I was younger, I hung out with a lot of uh, a lot of people that were atheists and a lot of agnostics and uh, just a lot of darkness. And, and then I got saved. And I was also really argumentative when I was younger. I know it's a shocker to a lot of you people. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I was talking to my mom the other day, and uh, you know, this is this is not a, a commercial for BTS, but um, you know, I'm in the apologetics program there, and I was talking to my mom. I was like, I know you hated it so much when I was younger, and and just in all this darkness, and I was always arguing and arguing and arguing, and and I always had to be right, and so um, now I'm in this position where I still get to go to these dark places and get to go, go to these dark people, but as a light and not as part of the darkness, and I get to argue not because I'm right, but because he is right. Great testimony. We could get maybe one or two more if anyone wants to get testimony this morning. I thought I was walking in in the light, in in my good works, in uh, in the way that I kept the Sabbath, in the foods that I ate, and in in so much of the law, um, and I'm just so thankful that um, that He did it all, that He paid it all, that. That it's no longer, I no longer walk in my own good works, but the good works that he laid out before me to walk in. Um, I'll share briefly that when I was in high school and early college, um, I, I uh, struggled and, and fell frequently into sexual sin, secret sexual sin, and, um, and it was not a, a uh, sin that I at least on the surface, loved or wanted, but instead, uh, for years, I read every book I could read, I confessed to multiple people, I sought help, sought accountability, and the whole time I was just in darkness. It, it seems like nothing I did, every effort I could make, could not free me from sin. Um, and one day, um, apart from any book, apart from any counselor, apart from any pastor, with my Bible open, Exodus 34, God showed me the glory of Christ in a way that I had never comprehended before. And uh, it was a dramatic turning point in my life. And, and 
And it didn't come from anyone else but from Christ. He, he shone light in a way that no one else could and rescued me in a definitive way from that. And, and so he revealed um, the selfishness of even my repentance and then revealed the glory of the cross and rescued me from that sin. Praise God. Praise God. And that's what, that's what Christ means when he says, I'm the light of the world. He says, I'm, I'm going to come in and I'm going to powerfully and supernaturally change your life. It's not anything that you can do. It's not any law you can keep. It's not any argument you can win. It's not an intellectual um, deduction that you can make and everything, A plus B equals C, and there you go, you've got spiritual life. He says, you follow me. You listen to me. You walk where I tell you to walk. You give what I tell you to give. And, and that's, that's the thing, church, is that we want to put structures and limitations and aspects to what it means to walk with God. Jesus talked to a man one time. <coughs> and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And he says, well, you know, you need to honor your parents and don't steal and, and, and don't kill and, and don't do all the things that you shouldn't do. And the guy says, well, I've done all that stuff. And Jesus says, well then, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And the man walked away sorrowful. Why? Because he was unwilling to follow the light that Jesus was shining on him. We don't make the rules. We don't make the parameters. Jesus sets them and he says, because I'm the light of the world, follow me wherever I tell you to go and however I tell you to walk. He is the light of the world and praise God that He rescues us from our own darkness. Now, let's walk into that reality and it won't, it won't be long here for these last two sections because they are opposed. They're opposed to this church. They, they, don't, want, they don't want to hear it. They don't, they don't like it. They know what He's saying. They know that God is the light. They know that Yahweh is the light of the world. And for Him to say, I'm the light of the world... I was just like, wait a minute, you can't say that. And so he offers the defense every time they offer opposition, and they say, hey, your testimony's not true. Look, look at their opposition. They're not just questioning Jesus. They're actually declaring him a liar. And what does Jesus say? No, he, he basically says, I have a heavenly origin. Notice in verse 14, he says, I know where I came from and where I'm going. You don't know where I came from. Jesus is saying, I came from heaven. I, I came from eternal glory, the right hand of the Father. I'm the creator and sustainer of everything that exists. I know where I came from. I have a heavenly origin. And then he defends himself. Look down, he says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Now, I think we can supply one or two different words there when he says, I judge no one. By that, he's saying, I judge no one like you judge people. You judge according to the flesh. I don't judge according to the flesh. I judge according to the Spirit. I judge as God. Or, he's saying, I judge not yet. Because notice what he just says. He says right after that, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. We have all over this gospel that Jesus is in fact the judge and that he will judge all people who reject him. And so we know that he's judging and he's saying, I have a heavenly uh, um, uh, origin and I have an exalted position. I am the judge. And then notice 
notice he, he does have a witness in verse 17. He says, in your law it's written that the testimony of two people is true. The Father who sent me bears witness about me. He, he has a fatherly witness. He, he has God the Father as his witness. And that's what he declares to them. And they, they don't know what he's talking about. And they say, so where is your father? And, and he said, you don't know my father. You, you don't know me. Because if you knew me, you would know my father. If you knew my father, you would know me. Because we are one. I do my father's will. My father sent me. Now they're, they're in their minds are, are thinking, you know, his father, he's, he's, not, he's, he's we, don't even, we don't even know where he comes from. We don't even know who his dad is. And he's talking, of course, of God the father, his eternal father. Now look at verse 20, what is ironic. And I don't know if John supplies the location here for the irony, but let's just notice it. He spoke these words in the treasury as he taught in the temple. The treasury was a place in the temple where there were 13 different receptacles in this area and each receptacle was in the shape of a trumpet and people would go and give their gifts, their financial offerings in one of those trumpets. And each trumpet, each receptacle had a different offering, a, a different intention. So one was the alms for the poor, one was for the temple worship, one was to take care of, of sacrifices and things like that. And the irony here is that the place where the people of God gave gifts to God, their best gifts, the best gift that God ever sent to His people was standing right there and they rejected Him. So He, he continues to defend Himself as they, as they oppose Him. Look at verse 21. He said to them, I am going away and, and you will seek Me and you will die in your sin." Man, it's like C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said, let's have no business about Jesus being a merely a good teacher. He is way more than merely a good teacher. He's either a liar, he's either a lunatic on the level of a poached egg, or he is the Lord of the universe, but get away with this business that he is just a teacher and did some good things that we might could follow him. He says, you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Notice they get so sarcastic. Will he kill himself? Now the Jews hated suicide. They believed that, that those who committed suicide, they were reserved the darkest and the blackest of sufferings if you committed suicide. And they're saying, oh, is he going to kill himself? Because he's saying, wherever he goes, we can't come there. And that's when he says, listen, you, you guys got major problems. He says that the first problem you got is you, you are self-righteous. I'm bringing truth to you. I'm revealing truth to you. I'm trying to rescue you from your sins and you're mocking me. You're making fun of me. And then he says, you're not only self-righteous, you are worldly. Look at verse 23. You're from below. I'm from above. You're from this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. Now what's interesting, and Wayne, with your testimony, you would have never said that you were worldly when you were keeping all the rules and regulations, right? Wayne, I don't want to burst your self-righteous bubble, but these guys were more self-righteous than you were. They were more religious than you were. 
And Jesus tells them that they are worldly. They're worldly. What were they doing? Were they, were they doing a bunch of entertainment stuff behind people's back and going around and, 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 and drinking and carousing and all of this? No. They were worldly because they were using the means of this world to at- attain reconciliation with God and God's favor. And Jesus is saying that has no merit in the economy of God. You're worldly. And you're going to die in your sins if you don't believe in Me. And then look down. He says, unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Not only are they worldly, not only are they self-righteous, but they are unbelieving. That, that is the primary sin of all people who are dead in their trespasses and sins. They don't believe the Word of Christ. To believe is to exchange all that you are and all that you have and all that you believe for everything that Jesus is and everything that He says and all that He has and what He proclaims Himself to be. We can't treat Jesus like He is a buffet. As if we could go down here to the buffet and pay $12.95 and pick and choose the aspects of Jesus and His call on our lives that we like and to leave the other stuff like it's the broccoli and beets and all of these other things that we don't necessarily want. No, Jesus says, if you're going to have Me, you have to take all of Me. That's what it means to believe. And they would not do it because they did not trust in Him they trusted in themselves. Now, he says, just look down at verse 25. Who are you? He says, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you, much to judge. See, he is a judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They didn't understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. This whole time he's talking about his relationship with the Heavenly Father, his eternal Father. And so here we have the disclosure, church. Right down here in 28, 29, and 30, he says, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Now in verse 24 and in verse 28, you see that he says, I am. Now the ESV supplies the pronoun he. There's a Greek phrase there, ego eimi. But what you need to know is that Jesus is saying, I am. And when He's saying, I am, He is declaring Himself to be the Lord of the Old Testament who revealed Himself first to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 when the burning bush, Moses has to take off his feet because the ground is holy. And the Lord calls Moses to lead the people out of Egypt and Moses is nervous and scared and he doesn't know what to do. And he says, if I go back to my people, I've got to tell them something. I've got to tell them who it is that sent me. Who shall I tell them that sent me? And the Lord says, tell them, I am sent you. I am who I am. The one who is eternally existent and eternally present. I always am and I'm always here. And Jesus comes in to the Jews' sanctimonious worship and He declares Himself to be 
the God who revealed Himself to Moses and the God who led the people out of Egypt and the God who made promises to the people when they were dispersed in Babylon and dispersed in Persia who made promises that I will keep my covenant to my people for I am the Lord of heaven and earth. And Jesus says, that's who I am. I'm disclosing myself to you right now and you will know when I am hoisted up on that cross as I am bearing the sins of sinners like you that I will demonstrate my glory. That when I bear those sins and die and am buried in a tomb, on the third day I will rise from the dead and I will defeat all darkness, I will defeat all depravity, and I will take all those who follow after me with me and I will rule heaven and earth from the Father's throne. Jesus declares that He's the light of the world. He defends that declaration and then He discloses Himself to these people who will one day, many of them will reject Him. But in Acts chapter 2, we read about Peter preaching the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. And some of those people who mocked Him and ridiculed Him and called Him a liar were pierced to their heart. And they repented of their sins of disbelieving in this Lord. And they gave their lives to Jesus Christ and were baptized and spent the rest of their lives walking in the light of Jesus Christ as He revealed Himself to them and rescued them from their religiosity. Can you make that testimony? Can you say God is my light? That Christ is my light? That He reveals Himself to me and He's rescued me? Let me tell you something. I want to give you a warning. I want to give you a warning. If you have not given your life to Christ, if He's not your light, if the microphone was passed around to every single person in this building today, and when it came to you, you could not give a testimony that Christ is my light, that He has revealed Himself to me, and He's rescued me from darkness, He's my Savior. If you can't make that testimony... You will die in your sins. And you will pay for the sin of disbelieving the light of the world who rescues people from their darkness. Don't do that. Christ is coming today and He's saying, give your life to Me. Walk out of that darkness. Follow My light and you will have the light of life that I have come to give all men. Bow in prayer with me. I want you to have a little time of meditation. I want you to just inspect yourself for a moment because this is what I want you to do. I want you to let Christ shine His light into every part of your life. And so I want you to ask right now, if your heart and your life was a a house, and it has a lot of rooms in it, a lot of closets, a lot of rooms, do you have any doors closed 
to Christ? Do you have any doors? Do you have any closets of your life that are just shut off to the light of Christ? You, you'll let Christ speak to your, your giving. You'll, you'll let Christ speak to your Sunday church attendance. You'll let Christ shine His light into the relationship that you have with your kids. But you have the door closed on your marriage. You've got the door closed on your profession and your work. You've got the door closed on how you entertain yourself. And I just want you to know that as a believer in Christ who is the light, He's coming to you right now and He's saying, open the doors. Pull them open. Let me shine light there. Don't hide in the darkness anymore. Let me help you with your discouragement. Let me help you with your depression. Let me help you with your selfishness. Let me help you with your anger. Let me help you with your greed. When I shine light, yeah, it'll be painful at first, but you will one day know the joy, the liberating joy of walking in my light. Let Christ shine His light right now into your life. And let Him guide you down the path that He has for you, not that you have for you. And right now, I want you to live with the awareness of judgment for those who walk in darkness. And I want you to think right now of someone that you love. Someone that you are deeply committed to. Who's walking in darkness. And I want you to know that they're going to die in their sins unless they embrace the light of the world. And I want to challenge you to tell that person how they can be rescued from their darkness.